Welcome to the CB On Air Partners in Focus series. My name is Yasha Popovic and I'm Associate Editor at Central Banking. In some economies, electronic payments have almost completely replaced paper notes and coins, take Sweden or Norway as examples. But in others, such as Japan, despite high technology penetration, most transactions at point of sale continue to be in cash. Today, I'm joined by Nikki Strickland, Marketing and Strategy Director at Delarue, to talk about cash in the payments landscape. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me to talk about this topic. Why is cash so an important means of payments, particularly in terms of financial inclusion? So it's often championed for the role that it plays in financial inclusion and protecting the vulnerable and the elderly in particular. And this is important because it directly benefits the lives of billions of people around the world who literally have no alternative way of paying or saving. You can go as far as banknotes with durable tactile recognition features, which provide a way to include the partially sighted members of society. But fundamentally, it is the most ubiquitous and therefore it's the most inclusive method of payment that's available. So in an extreme situation, cash is known to help preserve dignity and to be more effective than other forms of aid. There was a recent Guardian news article about it here in the UK, talking about governments and humanitarian organisations in East Africa who are increasingly using cash so that people can buy what they really need. And this is a relatively new concept because aid has typically come as in-kind aid, such as sacks of rice or bottles of oil, which brings its own problems around distribution and impacts on local markets. And sometimes cash is provided in the form of vouchers, and that can only be spent on certain items, which again is quite restrictive, and it makes it harder for people to get what they need. And unfortunately, the World Bank's progress in poverty reduction tracking shows that as many as 685 million people could live in extreme poverty by the end of the year. So this extreme scenario of cash providing financial inclusion is impacting millions of people. There are actually many admirable initiatives out there that better enable digital financial inclusion. Sometimes they seem slightly misguided. For instance, in countries where the Wi-Fi and the power supplies are unstable, perhaps actually improving the infrastructure there could be the first step towards digital financial inclusion. But in other countries, there have been notable successes. So Kenya and M-Pesa is often the poster child of this. But there's a long, long way to go. Some countries have launched central bank digital currencies and Financial inclusion is often cited as one of the reasons to invest in central bank digital currencies. However, even those that have got the live CBDC have a negligible amount of cash in circulation as CBDC cash. For a digital payment to be properly inclusive, it needs to work for people who don't have access to smartphones. It needs to work for people who don't have access to bank accounts and those who have low levels of financial literacy. And at this moment in time, there's some great initiatives and digital financial inclusion is benefiting many people. But cash provides by far the best and most immediate way to financially include billions of people on the planet because it's been around for longer and because the infrastructure is already in place, which means that more people are using it and able to use it. What are other ways in which cash is important? So it's a competitive payments method in its own right. Despite the increase in digital payments methods, it still remains as the preferred way to pay or second most preferred way to pay at point of sale transactions for many countries. A recent ECB study concluded that businesses generally consider cash to be better in terms of overall costs, transaction speeds and reliability compared to other payment methods. And I've seen it here personally in the UK. So my local restaurant introduced app-based QR payments during COVID and they rolled it back as soon as they could because they were having to pay too much for the service and they were experiencing 
in two week long delays between food being purchased and them actually receiving payments back from the app provider. So cash is still very competitive and for certain businesses it is the most competitive way of paying. So having cash makes other methods of payments more competitive overall. It helps stop consumers being taken advantage of by commercial payments companies. It acts, if, if you like, as the ultimate com competition to commercial payments companies because cash is free to use for the end user. In fact, we can even see correlation in instances between digital payment charges going up on certain card providers in some countries and cash usage increasing. You hit a tipping point where people don't want to pay with debit cards or credit cards because it's costing them too much. Cash is resilient if other payment types start to fail. So you've got it as a competitive part of a overall more resilient payments mix and the payments landscape is exposed without this. Cash is the only physical method of payment and that brings with it certain functionalities and benefits. Having a resilient payments landscape is important. So if we look back to last year, there were major power outages impacting over 350 million as new power supply challenges emerged on top of the more traditional ones. We've seen chip shortages that have impacted payment card supplies. Cybercrime increased from 3 trillion in 2015 to 6 trillion in 2021, whilst the vulnerability of companies to data breaches is now commonly reported with high profile data leaks in companies such as Facebook. So digital payments come with certain risks as well, and having cash provides an alternative for people to use. We also realise there are personal reasons that cash is important to people. It allows personal choice. We, we all have a fundamental right to privacy and we specifically have a right to avoid having our payments history tracked and cash is a way that allows that. So at the kind of the lighthearted end of the spectrum, you may want to buy a birthday present for your partner without them accidentally finding out what it is or guessing what it is because they've read the bank statement. At the more serious end of the spectrum, there's a certain level of anonymity that's beneficial if you're, for instance, trying to escape a, an abusive relationship or if you're wanting to legitimately protest in a country where there's some kind of fears for repercussions. We recognise there's some people in parts of the world who choose to pay via card or mobile phone. Um, in some parts of the world, they rarely use cash um, in certain towns and certain places. However, a January survey from Link found that there's 13% of people in the UK who would stop and not make an intended purchase if the place they were in didn't accept cash. So that's not just a, an inconvenience, that is a strong personal feeling that it is important that cash is something that people can use to pay with and people voting directly with their feet if that option is not available to them. In what ways do cash and electronic payments affect the environment? So I should probably start by answering this in the broader context. The environmental impact of purchasing goods is significantly lower in the vast majority of instances to that of the goods we're actually trying to purchase. And I think it's worth holding that in mind when we think about payments mix, because no matter what payment method you're using, the impact of payment is relatively low on the scale of priorities. So as society, there are bigger fish to fry if we're looking at things to target in order to help avert the climate crisis. But that's not to say it isn't important to do what we can to reduce the environmental impact of the way that we pay. And it definitely doesn't mean that we can be complacent about it. So here at Delarue, it's incredibly important to us that we are minimising the environmental impact of the products that we're producing, both in terms of how we're producing them, the raw materials they use across the life cycle, right the way through to how they perform um, with our customers. But there's actually been relatively few studies published on the relative impact of cash and electronic payments on the environment. So there's a few I've found. So the IMF actually re recently published reports 
called Digital Currencies and Energy Consumption. So the paper is about the energy impact of central bank digital currencies, but it also includes analysis in there around debit cards and banknotes. And it includes analysis that suggests banknotes are very sustainable. If you go to the report and you look at Annex 1 towards the back, it lists out the energy consumptions of different payment systems. And it calculates the global annual energy consumption of cash as 8.3 terawatt hours per annum. So this is cash that serves nearly 8 billion people around the entire world at 8.3 terawatt hours per annum. It then looks at other methods as well, and it cites debit card and credit card payments at 39 and Bitcoin at 144. So according to their annex, cash, which is also serving a wider number of people across the planet, is having a lower impact overall than other payment methods. There's also been some work by the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries here in the UK. And they've done some work thinking about the different ways that different payment types can impact the um, environment. So they consider it in terms of emissions, in terms of raw materials, in terms of recyclability, in terms of energy use. And the, the interesting thing when you start to dive into that study is that every type of payment method has some kind of impact on, on the environment. There, there is no such thing as a, an environmental impact-free method of paying. Everything comes with advantages and disadvantages. And you actually get to the point where there is benefits in having a mixture of different payment types in your landscape because of the resiliency that comes with it. So if, for instance, the raw materials that feed into your physical banknotes uh, are not available, you can fall back on some of the raw materials that are used towards your digital payment methods. But I think people forget that digital payment methods also come with physical components and physical infrastructure. You need the electricity, you need the, um, you need the hardware, you need the data centers, um, you need the mobile phones, you need the computers. These all come with certain requirements for um, for plastics and certain requirements for metals and certain requirements for energy. Even if you went to the point of the renewable energy, um, wind farms use certain types of precious metals in their turbines and it's not particularly environmentally friendly to mine those. So there's no perfect solution out there. And if your chip shortages continue and start to impact your payment cards and other aspects of the more technical side of the world, Actually, having banknotes provides resiliency there. And overall spreading things would spread the impact on the planet slightly more widely, as opposed to just mining one type for one payment system overall. I think the other element to take into account is that a banknote isn't just used once and it isn't thrown away at that point of use. A banknote will be used hundreds of times in its life cycle. In fact, some will get used a thousand or more times during its life cycle. Banknotes have an inherent value to them, and that inherent value means that the banknotes are returned ultimately to the central bank at the end of their useful life. And this closed loop means that the central bank then has the option to recycle. And there's increasingly green ways to deal with banknotes across the board whether it's incineration or recycling. Um, and we can definitely see a trend towards central banks being much more interested in this. What we do see is that the facilities and infrastructure around recycling of polymer is advanced. And we see that more central banks who are on polymer banknotes are recycling their polymer notes at the end of their useful life compared to other types. So you mentioned the facilities and infrastructure around recycling polymer being advanced. I'm curious how else technology within the cash cycle is evolving? 
So it's obviously all types of places and areas where technology starts to touch on the cash cycle. So at your starting point, you've obviously got the technology that underpins a banknote. There are physical objects, so it's kind of easy to overlook just how technically advanced they actually are and how sophisticated they are and how much underlying science goes into those security features that makes your banknotes counterfeit resilience. Over the years, the banknotes and the infrastructure that supports them have enabled increasingly automated and cost-effective processing. Over the decades, there has been development of machine-readable features. The interactivity with machines all across the cash cycle have in increased. We see it in the cash cycle itself, but we also see efficient and more automated ways of actually manufacturing the banknotes. So the cash cycle, right from the point of getting the raw materials, is seeing more automation and is seeing uses of technology to make things um, more efficient. So there's also innovation around banknote recycling and destruction, as you mentioned. Recycling facilities are improving and they're becoming more available for banknotes at the end of their useful life. Clean incineration routes are becoming more available and we're getting better at life cycle analysis. So linked in with the technology is actually the ability to understand what's going on in our cash cycles. So we have better cash cycle analytics platforms in place and we have more advanced knowledge of the impact of all of our processes right away through the cash cycle to, to help understand a, how to improve the distribution, B, how to improve and minimise spoil during the manufacture, and C, what that environmental impact is at the actually end of it. So we understand the impact of our banknotes on the cash cycle much better than we ever did. And as a consequence of that, the cash cycle can become more efficient. So the cash cycle is evolving beyond just the technology, though. In countries where ATM and bank branches are under threat, we're seeing initiatives to make cash more available to local communities. So, for instance, cash back without a purchase and local recycling schemes. Um, here in the UK, the post office is now playing a, a much more significant role than it has played. So cash cycle evolution isn't just about the technology. The technology is progressing. It's allowing greater automation. It's allowing better understanding of what's going on in a way that can make things more efficient. But it's more broadly the innovation that is helping to ensure that it will continue to be available where it needs to be. We're seeing mobile ATMs, which seem to become more prevalent during COVID. Uh, so actually moving the cash to people as opposed to making sure the infrastructure is in place for everywhere. And we've seen via mo mobile money, mobile money agents effectively acting like human ATMs at times to, to help with the distribution of cash. And where the distribution of cash is needed, um, electric cars are coming, starting to be used and will no doubt be increasingly used in the cash cycle. So you, you've got advantages from the way all the technology evolves. If you have more durable substrate as well in that cash cycle, which is something that seems to be the trend towards which central banks are moving, then that also helps. Um, if your banknotes look better in circulation for longer, then they can last out in circulation for longer. If the banknotes are being checked at the other end of the country from your central bank, if they're looking better for longer, they will be recycled into their, their local communities and go around there for longer before having to come back to the central bank for recycling or destruction. And the central bank will require fewer orders of banknotes to, to replace the notes that are worn out. So durability plays a, a role as well. So there's lots of incremental improvements that are coming together to make the cash cycle more efficient and to make it more sustainable. What are some of the trends that you expect to see in cash use over the next five years? <laughs> it's not an easy question to answer um, and we can we can all speculate about that one. <laughs> um, there's obviously an increase in digital payments, but um, the world's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, there's a reason that so many billion checks are still cashed in the US, but checks are not so popular in many other countries. 
there's a reason that mobile money payments have taken off really dramatically in some countries, but not others. So there is definitely an element of uniqueness to the cash cycles and the payments landscapes of specific countries and its combinations of heritage, um, the current situation, politics, legislation, um, all, all kinds of factors come together to cause local specific influence and impacts on the cash cycle. At the same time, there are things that are happening that will drive banknote demand up and there are things that are happening that will drive banknote demand down. So it might be worth just exploring that for the rest of this question. So there's obviously different macroeconomic factors that will impact cash use. On one hand, the global population is still expected to grow. So more people means more wallets um, and more payments. So even if cash is dropping as a proportion of the number of payments, if there's more people making those payments, we see instances where the absolute number of payments in cash is going up, even if the percentage of it is actually going down. We're also entering a period of instability and inflation. And if you look at periods of time in history where there has been instability and inflation, this is historically linked to banknote demand increasing. So we're likely to see higher levels of unemployment. We're likely to see growing proportions of the population who are less able to afford a bank account. And we're already starting to see signs of that already. Here in the UK, there's news reports about shoppers swapping contactless cards for cash to help control their spending. And there's been numerous studies out there saying that, well, proven that if you are paying with banknotes, paying with cash, there's natural, there's a certain amount of pain, psychological pain associated with it, which makes you stop and think. So on one hand, it means commercial companies are almost incentivized for you not to pay in cash because you're more likely to overspend without realizing it. You're more likely to go around and tap your card and not quite realize that you've um, gone into your overdraft. Um, but on the other side, people who are very aware that they've got a tight budget and they need to stick to it are consciously at this moment choosing to go and use cash for budgeting purposes. And I think we will see more of that, sadly, at the moment, given where we are in the world. So there's definitely macroeconomic factors at play here, which will be driving a growing number of people who will be using cash. You've then got an expectation of banknote demand being driven by inflation. So with inflation, you'll see the purchasing power of an individual banknote denomination at a certain value decreasing over time. You used to be able to buy four pints of milk with that five pound note. You can now buy only two. And that means the storage of wealth banknotes start to become more transactional. So not all of them, but some of the, the lower value notes that are being used in an economy to store value at the moment will start to become more transactional. And if the banknotes are being used more in transactions, then they're going to wear out more quickly and they're going to need replacing more quickly. So that will ultimately drive banknote demand. Inflation also drives up the value of cash in circulation. So this tends to also require more banknotes. Typically, central banks are reluctant to introduce new high value notes or it takes time to, to get the project in place and introduce it. So if inflation is rising quickly, the chances are that the central bank's not introducing new high value notes quickly enough to keep up with that. So you may find yourself in a situation where a $50 note could have bought you a certain item a year or two years ago. And in a high inflationary environment, you might need two of those $50 notes to buy the same item. So suddenly you end up in a situation where people are using multiple banknotes instead of just one for a purchase they would have made, which again can start to drive up banknote demand. Central banks can manage this by careful monitoring of their denominational mix and their inflation. Here in Delarue, we have an empirical tool called the D-Metric, which is been used for many decades with central banks and is empirically proven as a way to help central banks who are in a higher inflationary environment and are trying to optimise the number of banknotes that they actually need. 
So there's lots of things coming together at the moment which could drive higher demand for banknotes. But if you're using right, the right cash cycle analytics and you're considering the denominational mix and the values and introducing new high value notes at the right time, there's a way to mitigate against having to purchase additional banknotes unnecessarily. But what we typically see is new high value notes are not introduced quickly enough to have, have the impact they could be having. So at the same time, we know all types of digital payments are growing in popularity. There's been considerable investment in digital infrastructure spread over many years in countries like the UK and Sweden and Finland. Um, mass conversion to everybody paying digitally doesn't happen overnight. Um, we can plot 10 year, 15 year journeys of infrastructure being put in place, um, even for the, the, the countries who've gone via a phone based approach for more digital payments. And cash is still used in these countries. So Sweden's often held up as the, the, the kind of poster child of a cashless society. And at last check, it was something like 10 or 13 percent of all payments, which were still being made in cash. And there was almost um, a, a reversal or a need to invest back again in some of the infrastructure because um, there was still that need for cash and still that need for people to store things just in case. So it's still playing an important role, even in parts of society which are talked about more in terms of going to cashlessness. Reality is though cash is still playing a significant role in majority of the countries around the world. We look at cash and circulation curves um, which are published by the IMF and various other sources. Cash and circulation is still going up or still holding stable in majority of places around the world. It's still the most popular way to pay or the second most popular way to pay in many countries, despite alternative payments growing. And actually, there's there's a lot of payments out there. There's there's room for multiple types of payments in a typical payments mix of a country. The thing that I think has changed in the past couple of years is the recognition among developed economy governments and central banks that cash is unique and important. Um, there's a, a realisation that it could be hugely damaging to attempt to drift towards a cashless society without putting appropriate infrastructure, support, regulation um, and all of the kind of things in place. And that's going to take a, a long amount of time. There's an understanding that cash needs to be actively retained and not allowed to be progressively phased out by commercial banks. So all the reasons I talked about earlier in this interview around why cash is important is being increasingly recognised by governments and by central banks. Yes, there's a piece around protecting vulnerable. Yes, there's a piece around demographics such as the elderly who are reliant on cash. But it's more than that. It is about free to use competition to debit cards and credit cards. It is about generating seniorage for the central banks. So I think most people don't realise that cash is often beneficial to the public purse and not a cost to the public purse. Um, and perhaps that's a discussion for another day in more detail. It protects people's fundamental rights to privacy, it offers choice, and ultimately it provides resilience in a very unstable world where power outages aren't uncommon, raw material supply chains are disruptive, and having it as one of the ways to pay creates a much more resilient payments mix. So we're also seeing the raft of countries now introducing legislation to guarantee access to cash services. So we're going to see lots of different things going on in this space. Um, some will push cash usage up, some will push cash usage down. Five years isn't a long time um, when you consider how complex all our payment landscapes are and how how many touch points there are and how long it takes that to roll out infrastructure and to change habits. So I, I'd be surprised if we see a materially different landscape in five years time. But I think we're going to see lots of conflicting 
factors at play and I think we're going to see a growing increase in calls to protect cash as well as sadly challenging environments which may be driving people more to cash despite um, digital payments retaining popularity. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.